0: For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me today is Jacob Coons. Now, Jacob is an avid outdoorsman. He's a family man. He loves getting his kids involved in the outdoors, and he loves chasing after big bull elk. But he does not go the normal places that you would think when you're thinking of elk hunting. He's not going out, like, to Idaho and Colorado Arizona, New Mexico. No, he's actually going east of the Mississippi. And he has some really cool stories of encounters and successes with elk out in that direction. Now, if you are from the east, if you're from the Midwest, and you're like, man, I really want to chase after elk, but I don't have enough time to go out west. I don't have enough, enough money to put in for preference points every year. I don't even know how to draw. Like, There's a couple states close to home that you really need to be considering And Jacob is going to dive into those here in just a second. So I'm really pumped about this one. It is eye-opening for me, to say the least, that I've got opportunities right here. You know, it might not be drawing every year. They might not have over-the-counter tags every year. But once you hear the benefits and the upside to hunting in the East versus the West, I think he's going to make a believer out of you as he did me. Let's jump right into this.
1: Like, he was doing things that were just badass.
0: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show, and today on the show, I've got Jacob Coons, and he reached out to me on social media, he was like, hey, or I think he sent me an email, and was like, Hey, I love Eastern hunting and there's plenty of opportunities for elk here in Kentucky, Pennsylvania, kind of all over. I mean, the, the RMEF has done a great job of, um, bringing new elk herds into states that haven't had them for decades. And so, um, super pumped to talk to you about that today and welcome to the show. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate you having me and I'm excited to talk about Eastern elk
1: hunting as well because i feel like it's a real opportunity we you know there's all this noise around western elk hunting and it's awesome Uh, i've done that myself but there's a lot of opportunity for for men and women who hunt uh east of the mississippi to to get a chance to drive just you know four to eight hours to a state to hunt elk um not too far from their home
0: yeah that's awesome um what have you noticed with eastern elk hunting i mean with it being reintroduced herds, I'm guessing I think Kentucky has one of the longer um or the oldest established herds kind of east of the Mississippi. But have you noticed with eastern elk hunting that they're they're just not quite used to the hunting pressure yet? Do you do you feel like they might be even more um more prone to coming into a call and, and being harvested?
1: You know, Dan, that is actually a really good point, and it's funny because, um, so, and you're right, Kentucky has the, the oldest sort of elk herd east of the Mississippi. Um, they worked closely with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and introduced elk back into uh, the Appalachia area of Kentucky back in 1997, so it's coming up on 25 years, and Their first elk hunt was in 2001, and they still were actually in the process of still releasing elk. And over that 25-year period, you can see the harvest rates for each of the respective seasons. And and those seasons have, have evolved over the past 25 years. But the harvest rates have dropped dramatically here in Kentucky for different seasons, especially as you get into the later seasons but I think even still, if I remember correctly, the harvest rates are maybe in the 30 to 40, maybe 50 percent, depending oh, wow. on the season. Whereas if you think about Western elk, it's you always hear, you know, 10 percent. And and maybe it may even be lower than that when you think of different seasons out, out west and different situations. But in Pennsylvania, the harvest rates are in the 90s for um for for definitely for bulls, believe it or not, cow elk are harder to kill uh in Pennsylvania and the the harvest rates are a little uh quite a bit lower in some in some in some of the zones and we can dive into a little bit of that later but some of the zones are very difficult to kill cow elks because they understand a little bit about where um private private land is or where they're safe and where they're not safe. But yeah. but no that's a really good point. Not only is an opportunity to hunt locally to, in some respects, but it's an also an opportunity to hunt elk that aren't really as pressured as you might find, like you mentioned Colorado before we started or some other Western states.
0: Yeah, I think, I think uh, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of states are opening up elk seasons now. I know Missouri just finished their second season. Um, Wisconsin opened a season, I don't remember if it was this year or last year, Arkansas even Oklahoma, Kansas, like a lot of states around the country have have seasons now. And that's what I've been hearing is in the early years, uh, the harvest rates are through the roof. Like I know last year for here in Missouri, uh, they went five for five on bulls. They only gave out five bull tags. So it was a hundred percent success rate. Um, I think this year it was a little bit lower. I think there was one tag that wasn't filled. Now we're only talking five animals, right? But as the hunting pressure increases, as they start passing out tags, I I would imagine that's going to come down quite a bit. But yeah, when I looked into Western hunting, I wanted to go and hunt a, a bull elk with my bow. And I, I was looking at the odds and it was like 3% success rate. And I'm like that. I would imagine I'm far below that as a non-resident, never hunted elk, only seen them in like Rocky mountain national park. And yeah. um, I'm hoping that, here in the next couple of years, I can, I can draw one of these Eastern tags and uh, hopefully I get some good tips and tricks of where to apply um, out more in your neck of the woods.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, each state is different and you bring up some good points with regards to the expansion of it all, because, you know, you mentioned Wisconsin and Missouri. Now I think those are only, those draws are closed to just residents, yep. but some of the other States like Tennessee, Tennessee, um virginia they are they allow non-residents to apply kentucky uh, i just got back from my pennsylvania elk hunt and and i was one of the few non-residents but drawn but yeah there's um there's a lot of opportunity and i haven't even looked into arkansas and oklahoma and and some of the other states you mentioned so i need to do a little i need to brush up on my homework on those states as well because it that's the thing is that there's so there's almost not a whole lot of publicity around it and there's not a lot of information around it. So it gives folks like you and I and anybody listening an opportunity to sort of get ahead of the curve on some of these, some of these draws because in Pennsylvania, there's a, there's a bonus system. Um, And a few years ago, they it added two additional seasons and that put me at the top for those two other seasons. Whereas I had been putting in for almost a decade and I was always going to be behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Kentucky, the draw is is random every year. There's no point system. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you've been put, putting it in for 20 years or for, you know, this is your first year. And so that's another sort of critical differentiating factor between all of the states. As you look at maybe an Oklahoma or an Arkansas or Tennessee, it's like, okay, well, which one is is random every year and, and and maybe if it's if it's bonus points maybe you can get sort of ahead of the curve on that
0: yeah i uh i started putting in for points out west uh several years ago and so I've got a decent amount built up um, mostly in Colorado and I really need really? to start looking at at other states because even like with my wife she started to get into hunting and I'm like hey I could be putting in money um each year just to get points and and get her potentially an opportunity in the near future. But one of the other things that I was was kind of a barrier for me in putting in for a lot of places is the amount of money it costs. Like out west in Colorado, I'm spending a hundred dollars per point on moose, sheep, and mountain goat. And I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. And then on top of that, if I want mule deer, elk, bear, pronghorn, uh, all those points, it's like, I want to say it's like $50 a pop. Maybe it's less than that. I don't remember offhand. Uh, what does it look like for non-residents to put in for points in some of these Eastern states?
1: You know, and and I'm going to refer to my notes here, uh, because I was, um, because it does get to be a little, a little bit, uh, of overwhelming information, but for Pennsylvania, they have three seasons. An uh, 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 early season in September, a general season in November, and a late season in January of the of the ne- of the following year, and um, it's ten dollars for each of those seasons to uh, to to sort of put your name in the hat. And as I mentioned, you build up bonus points over time, and uh, um, if you draw a tag for a non-resident, I think I paid about three hundred and fifty dollars, which is
0: you know oh, wow. that's only
1: if you draw a tag. Yeah. So really it's 30 bucks a year and that's the same with Kentucky with all of the seasons for Kentucky there's a um a bull firearm uh which had, they have two separate weeks a uh, September and then an October uh I think it's a late September bull firearm a cow firearm which is in November and then another one in December they have either sex archery uh, that takes place in September, early September, and then December, and those are ten dollars each. So every year you're looking at thirty dollars. Again, there's no bonus point or preference point system in Kentucky, so um, you don't build up points, but you don't you're not at a disadvantage. But um, if you draw a non-resident tag in Kentucky, I think it's maybe around four hundred dollars. I don't think it's I don't think it gets to five hundred, which really you know, again, if you look at the whole scheme of things, isn't a whole lot of money when you, especially when you compare it to some of the, like a trip out West. Oh yeah. And a Western tag, I think a tag out in Colorado is like 600 something. Yeah, for I think 650
0: for, for a bull elk. Okay.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it's really sort of a value and you're getting a, a better, a non-pressured elk. Uh, you're getting a, a, a closer to home experience And you're getting uh, maybe even a better age class of animal too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it kind of blows my mind, even just in the few minutes we've been talking, that people are, are pushing to go out to Wyoming and Montana and Utah, Nevada, Oklahoma, or Colorado for all of these elk tags, when right now it sounds like if you go for Kentucky, it's cheaper to apply, cheaper once you draw to buy the tag, Uh, Better age structure of bulls, less pressure, higher success rates, closer to home, like all around, it just seems like a no brainer. I think the only difference um, that people might be wanting to go out and hunt the Rocky Mountains is just for the environment. But even on the east side, like you've got the Smoky Mountains, the Appalachians, and you can get into some amazing country. I've watched some of the videos of successful hunts, um, like people bow hunting for bull elk out there. and like I didn't realize the east coast or like heading out east looked like that. So, I think I think that you're definitely onto something and you might have some hate mail coming your way like dude quit telling everybody about this. We don't want all these western hunters coming out here now.
1: You know, it's uh, in and and that's a good point with regards to like when I went to Montana in 2018, it is a different experience. I mean, we had access to hundreds of thousands of Acres of public land. Um, there, uh, you know, we could just go, go, and then keep going. When you know, my experience hunting Kentucky last year and then Pennsylvania this year, you have um, s- definitely some giant cuts of public land, but you also have a lot of private and you have roads interspersed. And there's, um, there's, it's a different dynamic. Uh, certainly the uh, the states that are a lot of the states that are reintroducing elk or have reintroduced elk they're reintroducing them into areas with low populations of people but sort of the mining areas where there's been a lot of strip mining and it creates the grassland habitat that's really beneficial for grazing people the terrain looks really different than you might expect because you see these open prairie grasslands that you know where you, you might expect it to be just all hardwoods and so it's a it's but it's a definitely a different dynamic it's something yeah. that you have to plan for if you're going if you do get drawn for one of these eastern states the the, the 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 rub of public and private and the fact that you know the elk may be on private land and you've got to navigate that a little bit more than say if you were hunting in a a state like Montana or
0: Colorado or something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the, the private and public land boundaries out there are so, I mean, like we'll put on a hundred miles in a side by side in a day and never cross a private land boundary. And, um, I'd, I'd have to imagine, you know, you have to really hone in and figure out where these elk are moving on public land when you're hunting in the East. And if they're anything like whitetail, which I'm sure after, being around people long enough, they'll figure it out. Um, we had a buck here in Missouri. It was like a 200-inch white-tailed deer, and it lived in a cemetery. Like, that is, it just stayed there. People would literally drive through the cemetery just to look at this deer, but it knew it was safe. It knew that it, it figures out those boundaries. Yeah. And so I'm sure there's going to be different challenges with that. But uh, the, fact that, the fact that all of these states are opening up Uh, Non resident licenses. I mean, that just goes to show how successful the elk herds have become because to have a sustainable population to where you can have residents and non residents alike come and hunt them, like that just goes to show conservation departments are doing great work in those states for sure. Now, with the draws in like Pennsylvania and Kentucky, are they reserving a certain percentage of tags for residents and then like you know, giving 25% to non-residents or is it just equal odds for everybody?
1: That's a good question. And so
0: Kentucky, I
1: believe it's no more than 10% of the tags go to non-residents. So it's about, um, so it's 594 tags in Kentucky that are drawn every year. And that doesn't include like, there's some special tags, like a governor's tag and a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation tag that help raise money for conservation. But so, just for the general public, there's 594 uh, tags. Now, my just based on my numbers, just for your your audience, there's about a, uh, upwards of 100,000 applicants in the state of Kentucky. I've seen even seen numbers up to 130, 130,000 applicants. So there's roughly 600 tags, and um, the and then in Pennsylvania, it's a hundred about a hundred thousand applicants every year. At least, the, actually, this past year was a hundred thousand. One hundred and eighty four tags were submitted, so it's a you know it's a little bit more difficult in Pennsylvania. And I this year they don't have any limit on non residents, and I and I was looking at it. There were about twenty four non residents that were selected, and, and I was of course one of them. So, but they don't have any limitations. And I I have a feeling that may change if that number continues to rise, because I think the 24 was somewhere, it was definitely north of 10%. And, and so I, I, I feel like, you know, people might start to get upset about that, especially if you're a Pennsylvania resident.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that whatever state you're in, obviously a lot of the money that you spend in the outdoor industry will go towards the conservation in your own state. And so I think it's fair that the majority of tags go out to non-residents and even in states like Missouri where the elk population isn't large enough to to give out a hundred tags, you know, to keep it as only residents able to get them right now is smart. But, um, I think it's i think it's just amazing that like even with the governor's tags i've heard of some of the prices of those tags like at auction they're going for six figures for one tag keystone governor's
1: tag or something and it's it went for an auction for around two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. oh my goodness which is is like i just that's how special if someone gets drawn for that tag and i was when i was in pennsylvania i talked to i ran into a guy that had a, a cabin in my, the zone I was hunting and he was hunt. I was scouting in October. He was hunt deer hunting and I unfortunately messed up his deer hunt a little bit, but he was super cool about it. And he was like, yeah, I've never put in for the, the Pennsylvania elk hunt. I just don't know if I would get drawn. And I'm like, dude, you live in one of the, you have a cabin in one of the best zones in the world for giant elk. You've got to put in for it. You deserve it more than I do. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, the the fact that the the governor's tag went for $225,000 tells you about the value of of uh, the elk and the type of hunting that you have there in Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I would imagine with with the lack of hunting pressure, like you mentioned, the age structure that you get with the elk out there. I mean, you're seeing bulls that have have gotten above the average age in Colorado because, you know, Colorado, unless there's serious antler restrictions or um or it's a a difficult unit to draw, like most people that I know, like if you go out there and you spend six hundred and fifty dollars on a non-resident tag, if it's a spike and it's legal, like they're gonna shoot it. And so to see the the lack of pressure producing bigger bulls in a place like Pennsylvania um, just seems really cool to me. Now you've you've drawn. Kentucky, a cow tag, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And then a bull tag in Pennsylvania. And then you had mentioned going up to Montana, was it, in 2018? Yes. Okay. What uh, what are some similarities and differences that you've noticed between the Western hunt and the Eastern hunts that you've done? Well, you know, it, it's
1: hard to, to, to find similarities because when we went to, um, I went to Montana in 2018, it was a general tag. Went to the general unit during um like the second week of september and had done a lot of e-scouting and and done a lot of analysis i'm a very analytical person and um we uh chose to hunt in grizzly country and uh we found elk on day one and and i was fortunate enough to kill a bull with my bow on day three. Wow. And it was an amazing experience. We packed it out ourselves. We, you know, there was nobody there to help us and, and just a couple of flatlanders that went out West and, and it all came together really, really well. And it was an amazing experience. And that really got me started. I mean, I had been building points for elk in Eastern States. Thankfully I had the foresight to try to do that, you know, to do that in Pennsylvania and, um, I had been putting in for Kentucky, but when I, you know, when I think about my Kentucky experience last in, 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 this was December of 2020, it was a late season cow elk tag. It was a different experience because it was, it was December 26th through the 30th. So it was late season. There's no bugling there. You know, I mentioned sort of the, the push and pull or the rubbing of sort of private and public and the way the kentucky draw works is you get drawn for a tag and then there's a secondary draw for where you're going to hunt oh, okay and so th- there's a lot of that can go right or wrong in that secondary draw so again you, you know you drive out to montana or colorado or wherever you're you're looking at giant swaths of of public land And you're like, well, I'm guessing there's going to be, I'm pretty sure there'll be elk somewhere in here. And we're just going to keep going until we find them. But when you're looking at uh, Kentucky in the secondary draw, there are six hunting units. And within those units, some have public land and some do not have any public land. Okay, And so there's, um, you know, 600 elk hunter, you know, 594 tags. And within your particular season, it's going to, it could be, you know, 181 hunters within your season and they're going to get divvied up across those six units and you put in your, five, your top five choices for your areas that you want to hunt. And so within that unit, there can be some private land access that the state has got has worked with um like a local mining company to get four elk hunters. Oh, cool. And so there's so you really want to figure out in a in a very strategic way what you want your top five choices to be. Because if you go after what everybody else is going after, then you could get pushed into a unit that doesn't have any public land. And and you're sort of like, well, I guess I'll start knocking on doors to see if I can get some private access, and who knows what you know what that'll look like. I mean, you know, they may say, sure, for you know a trespass fee of a thousand dollars, you can hunt elk here, or or what have you. So there's um, it's a it's a it's a bit different in that regard. That you really have to do your research on the units. You have to understand these little. Pockets where you can get private access the state has has guaranteed for you, and and even what we found when I I actually drew one of those private property they're called restricted areas I drew one of those there was one other elk hunter in that which was great we had I had twenty thousand acres almost to myself wow but it's supposed to be private but the locals Treat it like it's public mm. and and that was a dynamic that I really hadn't planned on when I went to some of the areas, and there's places where there were beer cans everywhere and bonfires, and there's people driving through road hunting for deer. and it's like, oh, okay, so the elk aren't gonna be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so So we ended up finding elk. Um it took us a little longer than we anticipated. Um, unfortunately, I did not fill that tag, but it it was a it was an incredible experience. It was just different because you're dealing with different dynamics um, than you would say if you did go out west and you had you know hundreds of thousands of acres of public land to sort of poke around in as as compared to these, these, um, you know, 20,000 acres sounds like a lot, but if it's shaped like an S and there's private land all around it, then it, it doesn't, you know, then it's going to be, it's kind of difficult to hunt without, you know, uh, interruption or other people sort of bumping into, you know, your hunt, that sort of thing. So,
0: yeah, that makes sense. What, uh, what about your Pennsylvania hunt? What did that look like? I mean, were you looking at larger swaths of land? I know that Pennsylvania is. A giant state with a lot of, a lot of, I guess, North country or North woods, I think they call it. So Kentucky has much more land
1: to manage these elk on than, than some of these other states. Conversely, Pennsylvania has about 1400 elk. So, you know, just a a small percentage of what Kentucky has. Yeah. And, uh, but Pennsylvania, in my opinion, really just, drives energy and excitement around their elk herd in a way that pulls in the public it's it's um the area is near uh penn state university sort of in central pennsylvania and it's uh they just really do a a great job in fact i was reading that what they have done with the elk herd there generates an over a million dollars for that local community every wow. year in revenue because of tourism and, and people coming in to to hear the elk bugle and see the elk in different public viewing areas. And I just don't, I don't, I don't see that and hear that. And I'm a Kentucky resident. I don't see and hear that here in Kentucky, but it, it regardless, you know, the, the, the Pennsylvania draw is is you pick your you pick your zone or your unit when you when you put in. So okay. when you put in your ten dollars, there are um, I'm trying to think. I, I believe it's about thir- it's actually 13 zones across uh, nine or 10 different counties that is the sort of the elk management zone or the outlook management area, and you pick your zone when you apply. And so there's no secondary draw. So you do have to think a little bit ahead of time, like what area, you know, what zone do I think I want, but, and you, but you can see very clearly, you know, where the public land is, um, the zone that I had in Pennsylvania was 13. And so I chose that because for a number of factors, but it does, it does have a good chunk of public land. They also have a zone in Pennsylvania that is open for all Elk hunter. So you could be in zone two or zone twelve. Zone one sort of surrounds the management area because they're trying to create a buffer to keep the elk from doing property damage, crop damage, getting to the highways or getting to the major roadways. And so zone one is a zone that is open for for every elk hunter. And um, I can look up and see oh, in my zone all of the elk are being killed over here and over here. Yeah. And so it really gives you a great starting point as, you know, uh, when you go out there to understand like, okay, well, this must be where a good place to hunt elk. So let me start here.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love when, I love when States do that. I know in um, Colorado, when we went on the moose hunt, my buddy drew a moose tag and they had a kill chart online and I don't, Looking back, I don't remember if it was on the CPW's website or if it was like a third party that did it, but I know they mm-hmm. got all of their information from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, but it really did give you an idea of how big of a bull was killed, what, what drainage. I mean, it narrowed it down to the drainage. It wouldn't give you like GPS coordinates, but uh, you could tell them, you know, this drainage and that drainage might be three miles long, but that narrows you down a ton if you see a ton of red or blue diamonds or whatever color it was on the map. All right guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great. So now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy, and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bull com, and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus you can use the code nomadic and get 20% off your order. I love when agencies not only reintroduce and manage herds well, but then also give hunters all of the tools necessary to go out and be successful and it makes sense on their part because if success rates are down they're not going to have a ton of revenue coming from people wanting to apply for tags and and potentially draw a hunt yeah i i agree
1: and that's and that's where i when i talk to the elk biologist for pennsylvania I was saying, man, because he looked at Kentucky as a model state, and and Kentucky does and has done a great job of managing their elk herd, but I just don't think Kentucky does as great a job as to really pull the curtain back for hunters because, again, that secondary draw, there are people that feel like they won the lottery when they get a Kentucky elk tag, but then that secondary draw requires a lot of thought and some analysis, and I really do think a lot of Kentucky elk hunters are dissatisfied because they end up getting pushed somewhere where they don't know where the elk are, or they don't, and they don't get that information like the you know the GPS coordinates, like I mentioned. And so it's a little bit, um, I mean, you know, the issue with my elk hunt in Kentucky had nothing to do with any of that. I mean, I, I found two bulls and four cows and I just got a little too aggressive and bumped them. And they weren't like whitetail where they would, you know, sort of move to the next ridge. They they left the freaking county. And that was on day three of a five day hunt. And oh, and so I could we could never relocate those elk. And we couldn't find another elk herd. And so that really that that was on me. I got a little too excited. My daughter was with me. I really wanted her to to see the elk too and sort of I, I think I wasn't in sort of predator mode. I was sort of in dad mode, which isn't really any her fault. It's really I just should have I should have thought it. Uh, I should have been a better hunter that day. So ultimately we, my daughter and my dad were with me. We had a great experience, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do think both the, t- the two States approach it very differently. And, but regardless, there's still great opportunities, uh, you know, whether you draw Kentucky or PA or any of the other States that we mentioned.
0: Yeah. Are there, are there other States that you're currently applying for out East? Oh, see, Dan, you're not supposed to ask that question. <laughs> you can—I didn't say which ones. I just said are there, so you could say yes or no.
1: <laughs> I tell you what—I'm gonna—I'm gonna throw this out to your listeners um, it, it, because so Virginia has is having their inaugural draw start. It started today, February 1st, and it and they can put in as a non-resident for 20 bucks between now and March 31st. They're only drawing five tags. I put in for it today. I doubt that I get drawn, but I know if I don't, I'm definitely not getting drawn. So, yeah. um, so that's another state that I am putting in. There are some other states that that um, you know I'm taking a closer look at uh, just because I need to. And you mentioned some of them, like I need to look at Arkansas. I need to look at Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, like I said, Wisconsin and Missouri, they're not you know they're not open for non-residents, but you know, I don't know the situation with
0: with Oklahoma and
1: Arkansas, so uh, need to take a look at that.
0: Yeah, the um, do you use uh, Hunt Reminder on social media or the app at all?
1: No, I've I've seen that through Onyx. I think that's something that they've added for their elite users. Uh, I do look at Hunting Fool. Um, I really like the the what Onyx has done recently to sort of add value to uh their platform i i have seen some pennsylvania stuff but um is that something you found to be helpful
0: yeah um i just i stumbled across hunt reminder on social media probably a year ago and um, i've got the elite membership for onyx absolutely love onyx and swear by it i tell everybody like hey check it out and um, i didn't even know actually that hunt reminder is now um partnering with onyx but uh I'll just, I'll randomly come across the feed for hunt reminder. And all of a sudden it'll have all of the different states. They post it like, Hey, today it's open or you only have hours left to apply for X, Y, or Z state. In fact, um, I just applied for Maine moose, uh, two days ago that opened yeah. up and I was like, man, I've got, I've got a guy up there. I've talked with a couple times and, uh, he was on the podcast and he's like, dude, I'm telling you. You, you draw for one of these units and I will get you on a moose. And so I'm like, oh man, moose hunting is my dream. I want to do it in the Yukon, whether it's the Canadian Yukon or Alaskan Yukon. I think that'd be amazing. But I know that like Maine, that would be a whole different world. I've never been up that far. I've been up to New York City and mm-hmm. uh, I just know that the Northwoods in the Northeast can be a phenomenal uh, wildlife habitat like especially for something like a moose so we'll see i i need to get on and check out what other states have openings uh for draws right now or what states i'm about to miss the deadline if i don't jump on it uh soon so i'm i've definitely oh, been I, using that a lot though
1: i have a buddy where we we put in we've been putting in for pa in kentucky uh, for a long time we text each other constantly and he lives up in new jersey and he's always putting it in for moose up in New Hampshire and Maine. And he's always pestering me to do it. And I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm into so many draws. <laughs> and and Dan, you're you're like four times, a hundred times more draws than I am. Like you're building points for everything, it sounds like. And I just, I'm like, gosh, it just seems like it could be so expensive.
0: Yeah. but Well, my buddy, my buddy, Sean, he also mentioned to me, there's, I think it's a North Dakota bison hunt. That you can draw yeah. for yeah. and <laughs> he's like dude you got to put in with uh put in for it with me and I'm like yeah yeah I will and he sends me over the information and the tag if you get selected is like $3,500 wow. and I was like hey man I'm not gonna put in for that one <laughs> like I don't foresee myself having that kind of expendable income for a single hunt for quite a while and if I do you can almost do a non-resident moose hunt in Alaska for, for that price. I mean like the tag in Alaska really isn't that expensive. It's the transportation that, that gets you. So, um, I'm like, man, would I rather hunt a Buffalo in North Dakota or a moose in Alaska? Definitely moose in Alaska. So I'm not going to waste my time with that tag for now. Yeah. I think we've seen some of those, those bison hunts and you know,
1: we, you talk about animals that aren't pressured it almost seems like they're just going to stand there as no matter how close you get to them. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you're, you're on, you're, you're right there. Like, you know, the bison $3,500 or using that towards a, you know, something like a, an Alaskan moose adventure. I think that's probably a better
0: deal. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had bison and holy cow, that is some good meat. I mean, some of my favorite, but also I think at this point, my favorite It's hard because I feel like my judgment is skewed after I pack out a moose, like I'm way more hungry and anything's going to taste amazing at that point. But moose heart and tongue was one of the favorite meals I've ever had. I mean, it was phenomenal.
1: That's, that's, that sounds, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm always fascinated by the size of moose as well in comparison to even an elk. I, I, you know, I I was able to fill my, my elk tag this year in Pennsylvania, giant bull. I'll find out the age of it at some point, but it it scored 375. It's really mature elk. I was, uh, you know, very fortunate, but as big as that thing is moose are bigger. And, and, and that, that, that's, that's interesting to me to, uh, an interesting thought to, to, to do that. But I haven't, I've really haven't done, I haven't looked at some of the Alaska hunts or anything like that. I really, I feel like that's just a bridge too far for me, at least right now or, or in the near future.
0: Yeah. I, I've become kind of an advocate for Alaskan hunting, um, just because I was able to do it. I went on a blacktail deer hunt. My wife and I, we had talked about going up there for our anniversary for a couple of years. And then, Um, a friend of ours actually lived in Kodiak and they said, Hey, come visit us. Like, we've got a place for you to stay. We've got like some kayaks if you want to get out on the ocean and kayak. And we're like, okay, cool. But then we were thinking, okay, we're going to spend thousands and thousands just on airfare. Um, come to find out they are not a sponsor of this podcast at all, but Alaska air, uh, you can get their credit card and get a buy one, get one free ticket. Essentially. If you spend. Put a certain amount on the credit card, um, buy your ticket, and then you get, like, a free buddy ticket. They have to fly at the same time on the same flight as you. But I did that, and I think mm. all in, all in for, like, nine days in Alaska, um, travel, the tags, everything. Uh, I did a successful blacktail deer hunt, and I think altogether we were, like, $1,500, $1,800. But that's a nine-day vacation for me and my wife, so... Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, you put it all together and it, and then we came back with probably, gosh, I don't know, 80 pounds of fish, like salmon and rockfish and ling cod. And so once you're up there, I I really do uh, try to get people to understand like the travel is expensive, but once you're up there, you can get tags. You can go and fish on a river for salmon, like just literally walk down down the stream until you find them and catch salmon on a fly rod. And there's just so many opportunities up there. So, wow.
1: Well, that, that I hear a lot about folks doing DIY caribou and up there. And uh, I think that seems to be a more getting to be more popular, a lot more information around DIY caribou uh, yep. uh, and, and, and then, you know, some of the other deer species up there. But uh, I thought you sound like you were getting ready to invite me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, buy one get one. I thought, oh man, this is great, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'm excited about our uh, our hunt.
0: <laughs> hey man we've I've been talking with my buddy about finally pulling the trigger on the moose hunt and it may happen this year. That's what I'm gonna shoot for. um it depends on how many other hunts come up. but if you want to come along, pick up a caribou tag, pick up a I think wolf tags are fifty bucks like you can get a black bear tag. I want to say that's around three hundred and fifty. Once I priced it out, it was like I could I could get a black bear, a moose, a caribou, and a wolf tag, hunt them all in relatively the same area, and it would cost like fifteen hundred bucks in tags. And so, it that's that's
1: pretty pretty sweet. This is uh, the the year of the deer for for me. I, I don't anticipate going on any elk hunts, and my kids are are fifteen and twelve, and they've really gotten. Pretty good with their bows, and this next year, I think we're going to be whacking them and stacking them from a a, a deer standpoint, and so so it'll be um, it'll be a lot of fun this year. But I'm going to just do sort of the the local deer hunts in here in Kentucky, and uh, I'm looking at maybe 2023, and looking at maybe a New Mexico. Uh, you know, that's a random draw, so who knows. But I do have a decent amount of points in in Arizona. I have a decent amount of points in Wyoming, and so I'm going to see if I can get and I you know talk to my wife and get approval for a, another Western elk hunt um, in 2023, or potentially um, take my one of my kids out to some sort of pronghorn hunt before school starts. I really want them to do something like that out West, because I want them to be infected. Like, you know, like their dad yeah. is a little bit, because there's, there's so many ways that we're places not only for men like you and I, but even kids where you know, that we're looking for adventure in our lives. And I think you and I have obviously found it. And obviously I want them to sort of have that the same, like, you know, this other stuff is freaking boring, compared to hunting and fishing, you know, like that's, that's where, that's where my, my head's at,
0: you know, in the next couple of years. Yeah. I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that infects my kids as well. I mean, they see me putting on camo or getting home from, from a hunt all the time, they've come and helped me recover deer before. And so there's definitely the intrigue. My kids are five and three right now. And, uh, I think one of my proudest moments was waking up. And there were a couple flies like buzzing around in the house and my kids both had nerf guns and they were hunting the flies and we spent probably 45 <laughs> minutes doing that and uh and then i started riding around the property uh with my kids i i got an e-bike and so like they would surf on the frame of the e-bike and hold like real tight inside the handlebars inside where where my hands are. And then I'd kind of like sandwich them between my legs and just like hit the throttle and go. <coughs> well, I would go around the property and we'd see Turkey and deer almost every time. And every without fail, my daughter just would yell, shoot him, shoot him, shoot that Turkey. And I'm like, all of her T's are K's. And I was just like, all right, she's hooked and she's never even been out. So, um, we'll see. They, I told my son, I'd take him out coyote hunting. That's what I've been into lately. And so, I think I'm going to take him out in the blind soon and he can actually be on a legit hunt with me coming up.
1: It's cool. I mean, it's, I think, you know, you want, you want to give your kids the opportunity. You don't want to force it on them. Yeah. You don't, I even, I say it all the time. I'm like, listen, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. You, you, we went on a, there were some opportunities. My son shot a buck last year, but it, um, it didn't hit it quite right. And, but even before the shot and even with my daughter who who didn't get a shot, she sort of blew it. Um, but it, I was like, listen, if you don't want to do this, it's okay. I will not be upset. This is all about us having fun. And I just, you know, for your listeners, if they have young kids, just, you know, take a turkey hunting this year or, or whatever it is, but do not make it about, you know, punching your tag, just make it about, you know, taking hot chocolate and, and things for them to do, or, you know, lots of different snacks and just make it about fun so that it, because, you know, I mentioned earlier, like the predator mold versus dad mode and you know, when I'm in predator mode, I am not much fun to be around. I really am not. (laughs) So, um, I try to reserve that when I go hunting solo for my own deer or elk or whatever. Because if you do that with your kids, it becomes just like, why the hell would I want to hang out with dad if he's going to be, you know, if he's so wired up like that. So,
0: yeah. Um, another question you said you're in deer mode this year, you know, you're hoping to, you're hoping to get a bunch of deer, have you, do you guys have like urban hunts in Kentucky or do you guys have like park hunts that you can apply for? Um, I knew nothing about these till I moved to Missouri. They actually have, like, a, a nature center here where I live, and they shut it down for, I want to say, a week, and you can actually go and hunt some of the deer in the nature center because they have to manage the population somehow, so they might as well put, put out a, a draw, so.
1: There, is, there are a couple quota hunts uh, in the state that are, some of them are kind of far and one of them is kind of close and I put in for it last year. It's it's not urban, it's more around a, a, a nearby lake. But, um, you know, I haven't really seen a lot of the sort of urban stuff that I, you know, see on YouTube with some of the, like the Seek One guys or, um, you know, some of these other groups out there that do that it looks like a lot of fun in a way because I have done some urban hunting and it's it's almost not that relaxing because you're like well how do I get back here without you know someone seeing me in camo and getting upset or concerned and and, and if I shoot something I better sure make a great shot because I can't have it you know run off into someone's backyard and near the swing set or something but yeah I you know really, I have, uh, access to one acre of private land. (laughs) I mean, literally it's like a postage stamp and it just happens to work out. Um, it's the place where I take the kids to hunt. Um, I've certainly shot deer there and then I have access to, you know, public land and I've shot a a pile of deer on public land and it's obviously a little bit more challenging, but uh, I haven't really done any, any urban hunting per se, but I, what I really think I will do next year, as we've talked about a lot of, you know, hunting out of state is I'm going to, I live in Louisville, Indiana is obviously is really close. It's just, you know, 30 minutes from where I live. And I may, if I, if I build out my season the way I expect it to, like just to start filling tags as early as possible, I may venture into Indiana and some of the, uh, the areas that they have to offer Some of the public land places that they have to offer just to just to mix it up a little bit trying to do a local adventure
0: yeah yeah that's cool i mean i i always envy guys who live right there on the border of uh two states because like to be able to get two tags and you know not spend an arm and a leg on it but then have multiple opportunities and um it's always cool when the seasons don't completely overlap you know when one starts a week or even a month early uh, then you just extended your season by that many days. So, I yeah I haven't put a ton of effort into trying to get like out of state whitetail tags just because mm-hmm. I mean the closest state border is Oklahoma for us and it's probably an hour and a half. No, I shouldn't say that. Arkansas is probably about an hour from us. So really, I could travel a little bit, but with two young kids and <laughs> the amount I hunt already, I think uh, taking taking a full weekend. To go and hunt a different state every month would would probably put a damper on our relationship
1: i i'll be honest with you i hear i listen to a lot of podcasts and everybody talks about these out-of-state whitetail hunts and then they go and some of them like they don't fill a tag and then they don't even fill the tag in their home state and i'm thinking like that's a lot of energy effort and money and i trust me i like to get away as much as anybody but there is so much opportunity right outside most of our doors and especially for whitetail, I just don't understand the fascination, like with going to, you know, I mean, certainly with Iowa, that's one thing, but you know, like a Kansas or, you know, some of these other States, like for whitetail, I'm like, well, you know, I can have a lot of fun locally in some of these big old public land areas and where I can just hike forever And, uh, you know, if I play my cards, right. you know, I can fill tags locally and not spend a lot of money and a lot of time away from the family. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I think the time to go to do these out of state things is when you're chasing pronghorn or mule deer, or like you talked about moose, or we talked about elk, you know, that to me is, is where, you know, you're you're really going into a different environment and you're going after something completely different, a different type of adventure.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the big trips or like the allure around traveling to hunt is like getting away. And it seems like a bigger adventure. Cause even for me, if I go out and duck hunt on, on the pond that I have access to, it might take me 30 minutes to drive out there. I go set up and hunt for a couple hours and come home. Whereas like the adventure or the making an event out of it where me and a couple buddies go up to my friend's land 2 hours away and we spend the night the night before and we hang out and we're talking and anticipating what tomorrow is going to hold. I think that's kind of the excitement for me of of traveling and wanting to hunt different states. But yeah, like you said, if I had to choose if I only had like 1 week to go and do a non-resident hunt somewhere, I'm not going to burn it on the next state overs whitetail season. Like I'll be out West hunting elk or hopefully now out East hunting elk or up in the Northeast hunting moose or something like that. But yeah, I think, I think, uh, I'm definitely going to start putting in for Eastern States. Uh, you've convinced me of that. Um, I've, like I said, I put in for bear, they opened a bear season here this year, Opened an elk season here last year. And so I'll keep putting in obviously for my home state, but to To hear that you can put in for ten dollars a pop for three different seasons, I mean, that's that's a no brainer to me. You know, if you can draw a tag in one of these eastern states, you can have a pretty amazing adventure, and and
1: and even for a lot less money, less pressured animals, and uh, uh, you know, a, a pretty cool experience. So, uh, hopefully, you know, some of your listeners, um, you know, take advantage of it. Like I said, you know, Kentucky had a hundred thousand applicants and there's 600 tags. And that's really, you know, it's not a whole lot of people when you think about it. And, um, and if you pay attention to the, you know, the Oklahoma's and the Arkansas and the other States that we talked about, you might find yourself at the top of the list, you know, one year if they added an additional season, uh, like, like I found myself this year with Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah. Well, in, in now in the early in the early years of these States opening up hunts, that's when your odds are going to be best. And if you can get into it now before, you know, the whole rest of people and all of a sudden there's a half a million hunters applying for tags, like yeah. your, your best chances are now. And, uh, I definitely disagree with any, any of the mindset like, Oh, I'm probably not going to get it. Well, you're 100% not going to get it if you don't try. So you might as well just put in for it. And, uh, you might get that amazing email one day saying, Hey, you got drawn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was getting phone calls from Pennsylvania on August 21st of this year, this past year. And I thought it was, uh, you know, we're trying to reach you about your car's warranty or, you (laughs) know, those sales calls. And, uh, and I, I was like, why am I getting these phone calls from Pennsylvania? And I even knew that the draw was that day. And I was, it was a complete, uh, a complete surprise, but, uh, and it was a complete surprise to my, my wife when I said, Hey, I'm going elk hunting this year when <laughs> you thought that I wasn't. Uh, so, but, uh, um, it, it all worked out and, uh, we have a full freezer and like you said, if you don't put in, you definitely don't get drawn, but if you, if you do, it's not, it's not, you know, but $30. Generally, and uh, and and that's you know just if you say you know save a couple dollars here and there, thirty dollars is easy to come by, and it's worth it, especially if you get drawn for one of these tags. I and mean, like we said earlier, the Pennsylvania Governor's tag went for two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. So, you know, it's really something that would be worthwhile uh, to get drawn for.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on and sharing all the information that you've gathered and, and some of your experiences hunting the East. I think a lot of people are going to take a hard look at some of these Eastern States and, um, and hopefully they, they continue the habitat work, the, uh, reintroductions and there's more opportunities. I, I honestly believe that in my lifetime, if not my kid's lifetime, you'll be able to hunt elk in, in 90% of the the United States, the continental United States. And I'm, I'm really hoping that's the case. And they're doing, it's not even just elk, but like places like North Dakota and South Dakota and Nebraska are starting to have like uh, bighorn sheep hunts and different things like that. Like the conservation movement is taking off like crazy and it's really cool to be able to see it and to have all these opportunities from it. So before we hop off though, I want to give people a chance to follow you. And so um, if you wouldn't mind sharing where people can follow along, um, maybe if you have any resources offhand where people could look up some of the information, um, whether it's the Kentucky Fish and Game websites, anything like that, we can pass that along to them as well. Yeah, so I am on Instagram. I clearly need to increase my TikTok game.
1: After learning, you know all the that Dan has done on TikTok, <laughs> but uh, but I am on Instagram. I'm the casually intense hunter um, is my moniker, and you just look up Jacob Kuhn, Coons C O O N S. And um, you know, I personally I have a, a teaching background, and I'm very analytical. And what I have done and continue to do is try to create resources to help folks and. You know, sometime by May, I'm going to be publishing a Kentucky Elk Hunt Planner. Uh, It'll be a few dollars on Amazon. And it really is just a a source for folks to really understand that secondary draw, like I talked about. And then some of the other logistics and other dynamics that you want to think about, whether, whether that person hires a guide or not, the idea is that you go into the hunt with your understanding what your your objective not the objective of your buddies or your family but your objective is for your hunt and then creating a a series of plans around that so you can maximize your experience because like i said sometimes people draw these tags and they feel like they won the lottery but on the other end of it they don't understand some of the dynamics of it especially with kentucky and then it can really backfire and be a not so great experience and so that's the purpose of uh, the Kentucky Elk Hunt Planner Um, and you know I have other resources so if anybody follows me or if anybody just wants to ask me questions like I have you know no problem I'll ask I answer a million questions about any of this stuff Pennsylvania Kentucky or any of these other states or you know my experiences out west not that I'm any expert on elk hunting but like I said, I'm very analytical, and I love to, to collect information and, and share it uh, as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate your willingness to uh, to answer questions and uh, to share that information with everybody. It's, it's definitely lit a fire under me. I will be hopping online and figuring out what all states I can apply for out east, especially at that price point. I mean, what a cool opportunity. So we'll have to stay connected, though. I'm curious to see how, how your season goes this year, chasing after whitetail. And, um, hopefully we can get on one of those hunts. Maybe you can be my buddy ticket on an Alaska trip sometime. (laughs) 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 Well, man, thanks again. I definitely appreciate it. And, um, you have a good season.
1: Hey, thank you, Dan. You
0: as well and that is going to wrap it up for today's show i hope you guys enjoyed that and took a lot of information away from that show i mean i learned so much just in talking with him before the show during the show there's a lot of stuff that he opened my eyes to that i didn't realize before and so really if you think about it based on what we heard today you can get into an elk tag cheaper uh, lower application fees you don't have to travel as far if you're living in the midwest or in the east somewhere. Um, larger animals taken it sounds like on average and higher success rates on less pressured animals it sounds like a win all the way around to me I mean if I don't have to be gone from my wife for 10 days and I can go and potentially get it done in five in a state that's a lot closer less gas money I mean it sounds like a no-brainer to me and so I have been putting in for Eastern Tags, and I'm going to continue to do that and hopefully explore some new states that I could potentially get on a big game animal in. So I hope you guys take advantage of that. I hope you take the information you learned today and put it to use. Jacob is an awesome dude. I mean, he has done a ton of research in figuring this out, and obviously he's been successful with it. So go out there. Try to find a new state that you want to go hunt in try to find a state close to home or see, maybe you live in one of these states where they actually have an open elk season and you maybe didn't even know about it. Hopefully this is beneficial to you guys. And I've got a few other announcements that I wanna share with you. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts up for sale. Go check out the link in the bio on the social media pages or even in the description of this podcast. And you can find where to buy some Nomadic Outdoorsman merchandise as well. We've got a brand new podcast coming out Wednesday February 9th and it is going to be amazing it's going to be for the people that do want to get out and hunt big game it's going to be a lot more information like we heard today I'm going to be talking to some people that are very experienced in the outdoors chasing after big game animals out west for tips and tricks strategies and gear recommendations For those of us that want to pursue other game, mostly out west, but who knows? We might throw some northern stuff in there in Canada or northeast or even heading down south. Just some some hunts that a lot of people overlook or think are out of reach for them. I'm hoping that we can make it content that's relatable, full of education and information for you to go out to a new spot and be successful hunting. So really pumped about that. Hopefully you guys will follow along. That is called the Western Rookie Hunting Podcast. So look it up and join with us as we create some new shows coming up here shortly. Until next time though, always choose adventure and God bless.